Area 10 Faith Community meets in the historic Bird Theater in Carytown in Richmond, Virginia. We worship together at 10 a.m. on Sunday mornings, both in person and online at youtube.com slash area10church. Kid-friendly programming is also available at the same time just down the street at 2810 at Community Gathering Place. We hope to see you at the Bird Theater soon. Now, on to this week's message. About 15 years ago, I was the manager at a Starbucks here in town. Y'all familiar with Starbucks, a little coffee chain from Seattle? So, yeah, so I was the manager of the store, and um, part of the job of the manager is you get to handle the most escalated customer complaints, right? They're going to come to you. And I was the manager at a store here in town in one of the wealthiest parts of, of Richmond, in one, one, one neighborhood there. And so I was there, and um, w- our store was such that outside we had some outdoor seating, we had quite a bit of shade, and this was like in July. It was really hot outside, and there was a woman who would, who would come to our store, and she would come in, and she would get a venti ice water, and she would sit outside. She was wearing a lot of clothing, like a coat and stuff, in the middle of the 95 degrees, I'm living inside of a dog's mouth kind of summer that we have in Richmond. And so she was sitting outside in that drinking her ice water, and it was pretty obvious that she's a person who experiences homelessness, so she doesn't have a place to live. She's probably living in the woods nearby. Well, she was, she was out there. She'd just sip ice water. She didn't talk to anybody. She just sat there in, in the shade and, and drink ice water. And, a, and another lady came in, a customer, and she was, seemed upset that this woman was outside, and so she started talking to me, and she said, hey, um, there's a woman sitting outside drinking ice water. Um, what's the deal with her? And I said, oh, you know, we have shade, and so she probably likes to get ice water and, 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 and enjoy that. And she's like, yes, but, like, why is she here? And I said, well, um, I, I, she probably lives in the woods nearby, so um, I think this is just an easy spot to go to when it's hot during the day to get some water and just kind of relax. And, she's, and this woman's just getting sort of more and more agitated, and she says, um, yeah, I, I understand that, but like, why isn't she like downtown, like in a shelter somewhere? Why, why, why isn't she there? And I said, well, you know, some people don't like to be in the system like that. They don't like to do that. And so she's not inter- maybe this woman's just not interested in doing that. And the woman, obviously not satisfied with what I was telling her, and clearly wanting me to kick this woman off of the property, she says to me, well, quite frankly, I bought a house out here so I wouldn't have to see people like her. So that thing you're thinking is what I was thinking, which is, ew. Like, and and what, I, what I wanted to say, what went through my head, but I didn't say because I wanted to keep my job, was, well, actually, I bought a house in the city where I bought, so I wouldn't have to see people like you. <laughs> yeah, so here's the thing. Here's the thing. My experience of her was... This is elitist and judgmental. My response to her wasn't any better. Like in my own head and heart, I just thought, oh, she thinks she's better than that person. And then I thought, oh, I think I'm better than you. And this is the problem we all have, right? We, we, we struggle very hard to be loving in the moment. We struggle very hard to be loving to people who are different than us who are weird, who who make different decisions than we make. We're decent at loving our parents. We're decent at loving our siblings. We're decent at loving our close friends. We're decent at loving a spouse. But when someone is different or odd or they vote different than we do or whatever, we really struggle. We don't love 
those people well. We don't love strangers well. We certainly don't love enemies. And I think we could, I think we can do better at this. I think we could love a little better and love a little bit differently. Um, what the world needs now is love, right? You may, may or may not know that song. It's from 1965, so it's before some of us were born. Um, but it was true then, and it's true now. Because when I look around, what I don't see is a lot of love. I see a lot of fear, a lot of anxiety, a lot of struggle, a lot of distrust, a lot of anger, a lot of, I'm going to win and, and make sure that someone else is lose. I'm going, to, I'm going to dominate someone else. But I don't, and I don't know, maybe you see it differently, but I don't see a whole lot of love out there. And I think it's needed, and I think we can do better. And Jesus teaches on this. When, when Jesus comes to the, to the world in the first century, he steps into a culture that is very religious in, the, in Israel, the Jewish culture, very religious people, but religious in a rule-following sort of way. Do this, don't do that. I follow these rules. I'm better than you because I follow these rules and you don't. He steps into that and he teaches them about love. And it's, it's a profound thing, and I think it's powerful precisely because he gets very concrete about love with them and shows them what love actually does and looks like. And so he teaches on it, and we've been, we've been following Jesus around for several weeks now. We're going to be doing this through August, where we're just following Jesus as he walks around the Sea of Galilee in northern Israel. And we're trying to look at the way to, to live, the way to walk, the way to be. And so we're going to follow him around and, and look at the interactions he had with people and what he taught and see what we can learn from that. And so I want to pick it up there in Luke chapter 6, uh, verse, starting with verse 27. These verses I'm going to read to you were profound for me when we planted this church and for others and were really a basis of, of why we have tried to be, who we've tried to be as a church over, over the last uh, 14 years or so. So I want to read this to you, Luke chapter 6, Start with verse 27. But I say to you who hear, love your enemies, do good to those who hate you, bless those who curse you, pray for those who abuse you. To the one who strikes you on the cheek, offer the other also. And from the one who takes away your cloak, do not withhold your tunic either. Give to everyone... uh, uh, yeah, okay. Give to everyone who begs from you, and from one who takes away your goods, do not demand them back. And as you wish that others would do to you, do so to them. The golden rule, you've heard that. Last week, uh, Topher led you through the previous thing he had just said, which is about blessings and woes. And so when Jesus is pronouncing blessing and woe over people, he's saying, this is good, this is not good. And the tendency, if you're in the audience, as you hear Jesus say that, the tendency would be for all of us to go, am I in the blessing group or am I in the woe group? Am I the good guy or am I the bad guy? And basically, nobody wants to think of themselves as bad guys. Serial killers think of themselves as good guys, okay? Like, nobody wants to be in the category of the bad guy. And so what we do is when Jesus comes along, this authority, this religious teacher, and he says, these are the good guys, these are the bad guys, what is very natural in our hearts to do is go, how am I one of the good guys? Okay, I'm in, good. Oh, there's bad guys? Yeah, hate those fools. Those people are terrible. Look, he, he just told them, you get them, Jesus. You told them. And then there's this thing that happens in our heart where we immediately become very self-righteous. And judgmental, and we go, I'm one of the good guys, they're the bad guys. And we say, man, I'm glad I'm not like she is, glad I'm not like that dude. And that, that sort of creeps in in our, in our hearts. 
And so Jesus speaks to this condition, and he talks about people that are our enemies, because as you hear him pronounce blessing and woe over people, you might go, okay, these people are my enemies. And he goes, no, um, he's anticipating our reaction. Our reaction might be, oh, cool, there's bad guys, cool, God must be cool with me hating those people. And he just goes, no, actually, I want you to have a different reaction to people that, that you might hate, or a different reaction to people that you might consider your enemies. Now, this isn't just a religious thing. There are enemies and struggles in all, all aspects of society, right? It's not just religious people who struggle to love their enemies. Nations struggle to love other nations. This is why they go to war. Tribes struggle to, to love other tribes. They just think of them as different, uh, different and other and bad, right? Uh, families struggle to love other families. There's a clash of clans and all of that kind of thing. You, you see that all over the world. And Jesus was aware of that. He, he saw that too. Um, and, and even the people today who are loving, who appear to be the most loving, who appear to be the most open-minded and, and open-hearted and inclusive communities, even those communities struggle to love everybody well. Mostly, they struggle to love people who aren't as open-minded or inclusive as them. You know, there's always a boundary. There's always a line there. And there's always a tendency in the human heart to say, I'm in and you're out, therefore I hate you and you're the, the bad guy. And the world does not get better when we keep doing this. If all we ever do is love the people who love us and just hate everyone else, um, it, it, it doesn't go well. This goes badly for the culture. Jesus knew this. The Jews hated the Romans. Why? Well, because the Romans dominated them, because they ruled over them. So they're the bad guys. Before that, it was Babylonians. And Assyrians. I mean, there's just a, a long history that Jesus steps into. He knows that everybody around him, they're going to naturally hate this other group of people who has dominated them and who's ruling over them and making it horrible and oppressing them and all that kind of thing. He knows the tendency of the human heart. He knows history. He knows what we're doing, what we do. And so he challenges people. Um, and he knows that on a national level. He knows that on a personal level. He knows that you and I are going to have disagreements and, and we're going to unfriend people. Right? That's going to war, but in a real passive, passive way. Right? We're going to unfriend people. We're going we're to sort of burn it down with relationships and, and make enemies out of people. And so what does he practically tell us to do? He says to love these people. But practically, what does that look like? He says several things. Let me put it on the screen. He says, love your enemies. What? Oh, who wants to do that? Do good to those who hate you. No way. Bless those who curse you. I don't want blessing for those people. Pray for those who abuse you. It's a strong word. If someone strikes your cheek, offer up the other one. If someone takes your jacket, give them your shirt also. This is not a checklist. This is an example of love in action. This is what it looks like to, to be truly loving, to and, and, and it, it gets out of control right from the beginning for us. Love your en enemies. When you hear love your enemies, what does that kick up for you? In, in me, it kicks up this thing of like, oh, heck no. No. I'm not going to do that. I'm not going to love my enemies. I'm going to hate them. That's what we do to enemies. You don't love those people. That's why they're enemies. Loving them sounds 
hard, impractical. And so Jesus doesn't let us off there. He, he keeps going and showing us what it looks like. Actively do good to those who hate you, he says. Oh, man. What? No. I, I want to encourage us to take Jesus seriously on this and think about what it would be like to actually do what he's saying. G.K. Chesterton uh, famously said um, that that Christianity has not um, been tried and found difficult. It has been found difficult and left untried. So we, it's, not, it's not that, it, that these things are like, oh, I tried that and I just couldn't really do it. It's, it's just that we look at it and we read these things from Jesus and we go, no, I'm not going to do that. There's no way. It seems impossible. And we don't even try so what would it look like to, to do what Jesus says? Because it's not that our faith doesn't work, it's that we're not trying it. These things Jesus says to love our enemies, to pray for those who abuse us, to bless those who curse us. Um, they, these things are actually possible to do. Um, it's hard. When, when, you, when I think about my enemies, I think, why would I do good to them? I just want them to disappear. I certainly don't want them to be blessed, not by God. And it gets worse. Pray for your abuser. No, no, no. I want, I want no connection to my abuser. I don't even want to think about that person. Abuse is wrong and evil. Why would I pray for someone who abused me? You keep going on the list. You get, you know, if someone uh, wants your cloak, give them your tunic also. Your tunic, give them your cloak also. If someone strikes you on the cheek, turn the other cheek towards them, let them hit you there. We have a word for that in our culture. We call that being a doormat. We go, no, that's weak. Why would you do that? Why would you let someone hit you and then you just be like, no, hit me again? Like, what, what is that? Jesus is relentless in this, and he's advocating for a love that doesn't make any sense to us. And yet, I would argue that kind of love that he's advocating is exactly what we need. The world needs so much more of it. And he, and he pushes us on it. Look at verse 32. He says this, If you love those who love you, what benefit is that to you? For even sinners love those who love them. And if you do good to those who do good to you, what benefit is that to you? For even sinners do the same. And if you lend to those whom you expect to receive, what credit is that to you? Even sinners lend to sinners to get back the same amount. But love your enemies and do good and lend, expecting nothing in return. And, he says, your reward will be great. And you will be sons of the Most High. For he is kind to the ungrateful uh, pull that back and see the end of that. Uh, he, is, he is kind to the ungrateful and the evil. Be merciful, even as your Father is merciful. He's pretty blunt, right? Now, if you're only loving to, to the people that are like you, that are friendly, that are fun, that are nice to you, that love you, what good is that? Like, okay, fine, everybody does that. That's not difficult. He calls us to do something else. He calls to something over the years at this church we've called love beyond reason. That doesn't mean it's completely unreasonable to do what he's saying to do, but just that it's going gonna, it's gonna to be hard to make sense of it. Not that it makes no sense, but that it, it making sense to you is not the main point. It doesn't have to make sense to love the way Jesus calls us to. It doesn't have to make sense to obey him. 
We can be obedient even if we can't sort it all out exactly how it works. He does give us a handle, though. He says, if you love your enemies, if you do this that he's calling, he said, great is your reward. This is going to somehow be rewarded by God when, when, you, when you do that. Um, now, it might help the person you're loving. If you love your enemy, it might help them. But really, it's going to be a reward that is great for you, whether it affects them or not. I think that reward looks like two things. Number one, God will reward you. He says you will become more like God when you, when you love your enemies because this is what God does for us. He, he reaches out to his enemies. He extends love and grace. That's, that's, that's what God does. So, uh, and he says that God will reward you. I don't know what that looks like. It doesn't mean you're nice to your enemies, you get a new car. I can't make any connection like that for you. I, I, don't concre- I can't concretely tell you how God will reward you for loving your enemies and praying for those who persecute you. I can just tell you that Jesus promises that is the case and there will be a reward there. But I think secondly, and maybe this is in, in some ways part of, of the reward, is I think when you pray for those who persecute you, when you act in a loving way towards even your enemies, um, it, it stops you from growing bitter. And that's, that's a huge reward. One of the biggest problems, I think, with even having enemies in, in, world, in, in the world and in our culture is to the degree at which it affects you. When you have enemies, you think about them a lot. They, you've heard the phrase, right? They live rent-free in your mind. You, you, you've probably experienced that before. You obsess with your en- enemies. You plot revenge over them. You think about them getting what is coming to them, right? You know this. You have a, an ex. You have a, a friend who betrayed you. You have a, a coworker or that burned it down. You, you have these things. So when Jesus tells you to pray blessing for them, he's saying, stop treating them like an enemy. Pray actually good things to happen in their lives. Why? Well, because it's going to be better for you. It'll, be, it'll actually be better for you. You will be happier. You will be lighter. You will feel less burdened. I wish I didn't have personal stories about this, but I do. When we started this church in 2008, I had lived in Richmond for two years, and I don't think I could say to you at that time that I had enemies in Richmond um, I do now. I do now. I have people who really don't like me. And if I'm honest, I don't like them a whole lot either. And I wish that wasn't the case. I wish there had been beautiful reconciliation. I wish the parties had come together and made things right. I wish cooler heads had prevailed and we were able to sit down and talk things out. But we don't always get that. and It doesn't always happen that way. And so when I read this, honestly, it's, it's a l- little uncomfortable f- for me because I know the energy I've spent hating someone over the years. I know what that's like. And I knew that we're preaching through Luke. I knew I was going to have to talk about this. Who made this stupid schedule of preaching? I was like, oh, yes, I did. I, like, and, I got, and I knew this was coming. I was like, oh, Lord, no. I don't want to do this. I don't. I'd rather just keep hating people. It's, it's bad. It's wrong. Sometimes it feels good. So let me share with you what I'm, I'm learning on this. What I've been on this journey too, 
as a fellow traveler on taking Jesus seriously in this area, let me share you, with you a little bit of what I'm, I'm learning. Because I, I really do think when Jesus says these things, they must be possible to do. His teachings have not endured for millennia because he said pretty words. His teachings have endured for millennia because he said true words that are right and good and help us. And so if we're going to take him seriously on this, if we believe this is a thing real people can do in the real world, how are we going to get there? Number one, believe that loving your enemies is the good and right thing to do. Change always starts with vision. When you get a vision for what could be, you will start changing what is. And unless you have a vision for the kind of forgiveness and loving your enemies and and blessing those who curse you, until you get a vision for that, you will never do it. You're not going to do it if you think, oh, that sounds nice, but it's not practical. It's not going to really help me. No, you have to believe this is a thing I can really do, and it's actually worth doing. Um, And I think a lot of the times we don't love our enemies because we don't recognize what it costs us. We don't acknowledge that actively still hating them or them living rent-free in our minds. We don't see the cost of that. We just think, well, this is just the way it is, and it's the way it's always got to be. And it's hard, right? When When I get into bad eating habits and I eat poorly for a period of time, I can notice it in a week. I can notice, and I avoid the mirror, and I notice how my clothes don't fit well and things like that. There's an instant feedback loop with my eating habits. But if I don't love my enemies, I don't notice that in a day, in a week. I might not notice that in a month, maybe even a year. But people around me can see me growing bitter. I may not see it, but it's there, and it's, and it's happening. So get a vision of your life where you're free from hating your enemies, where you you strive to love regardless of whether it is reciprocated by anyone or not. Because that kind of life where you are the loving person, where you step out in love, that kind of life is freer and actually happier. And it is something that you can actually do in the real world. So that's number one, is believe that this kind of thing is, is doable and, and possible. Number two is this, put love in action through prayer. Put your love in action through prayer. We live in an age where the idea of thoughts and prayers gets mocked, right? There's school shooting, people say thoughts and prayers. And then there's the, the time for thoughts and prayers are over. We need action um, because we believe that praying is not action, that it's not actually taking action. It's just something like wistful thinking. And truthfully, if I didn't believe in God, I get why you'd be there, right? I, I, I could see why you would say that. If you, if you don't believe in God, then praying is not action at all. It's actually, I mean, it's time-consuming, I suppose, but it's a waste of your time because it's not going to do anything. Right? So we have to, um, we have to a- a- address that. Um, if, if, um, if you believe that God doesn't exist, then prayer is a waste of time. If you believe that God exists, but he is disengaged from the world and doesn't do anything anyway, well, then prayer is also going to be a waste of time. But if you are following Jesus' footsteps, he changed the world, and he prayed a lot. He thought it mattered. And so if we're going to walk in his way and we're going to be the followers of Jesus, we're going to be Christians, then we have to go, okay, he prayed, I'm going to pray too, and follow in his footsteps and do what he calls me to do. So I'm going to, I'm going to pray. That's, that should be my first response. Okay, something's, 
gone wrong. I have an enemy. Um, there's a broken relationship. I'm going to pray and ask God to uh, intervene. And, and a lot of people will do pray for themselves. God, help me, help my marriage, help my friends, help my kids. Um, we'll, we'll pray and ask God to intervene for us. Um, but Jesus says, even do that for your enemies. Um, I think if we would pray for our enemies, we would get free from, from bitterness. The bitterness comes on slowly. That's why you don't notice it, right? It's, it's a disappointment at work. It didn't work out and something bad happened there. It is a betrayal of a friend and you feel like you got burned or backstabbed. It is the, the brokenness of a relationship. You got a divorce or you broke up and it was painful or your kid did something that really let you down. Like the, the economic downturn or you lost your job. Like the disappointments stack up and the bitterness can, can grow in us. And even in my 40s, uh, I, I see how it affects me. I can see it creeping up on my life. And I could see the tendency in me to, to become bitter. I, I could see how you could get there. I, I'm not saying I've had a bad life. I'm not, I'm not complaining. I just have enough disappointments that one day I could be the guy who's telling you to get off my lawn. And I don't want that. I don't want to be the guy who's wrapped around cable news, sending you the forwards to, to my nieces and my grandkids, telling them that everything's going to hell and they need to get right or whatever. Like, I, want, I don't want to become scared and angry and, and bitter. I don't want to be that guy. And this is why the gospel helps us. The idea that Jesus died for us, that he makes us right, that he loves us, that there is grace for us, that there's mercy, that even though we've blown it, it can be made right. And if that's true for me, that's true for the person I hate too. Nobody is beyond help or hope or redemption. This is the beauty of the gospel, that all of us are broken, but all of us can be set right by Jesus. And I have to believe that and remember that and use it to, to, to remind me, use it to level me out, use it to set my feet on solid ground in the midst of very shaky and uncertain times and an uncertain culture. Um, this, is, this is what we do. So we pray for our enemies. Um, and, and, we, and, and by doing that, we can fight the cynicism that, that overcomes us. When I say pray for anyone, anything, even our enemies, I, I want us to take it seriously as, as a real tool, a real step that we need to take here. I, I flew to Istanbul last week, and long flight overnight from D.C., and uh, I was in the aisle seat, and the guy sitting next to me in the middle seat, God bless him, the people who have to sit in the middle seat on overnight transatlantic flights, that's a horrible way to live, really. It's, so he's sitting next to me, and we didn't talk much, you know, there's all the movies and all the things, you're just kind of chilling. And it's getting late, and everyone's trying to sleep or whatever, and it's about 9 o'clock at night or something. And he turns to me, and he says, hey, um, I'm going to pray. And I was like, I mean, all right, you know, do your thing, man. Like, you know, just kind of like, okay. And he goes, I just didn't want you to think I'm crazy. It's like, okay. And so he prays. Well, he's, he's Muslim, and I think... Our, our flight is going east, so Mecca's straight ahead somewhere. And so he starts to pray in the seat in front of me, and he's sort of bowing, and he says some things out loud, not, not too loud. I could hear a little bit, and he, he does kind of sort of the ritual sort of prayer to his shoulder, the shoulder, and then forward, and then bowing, and then he's doing all of this stuff in the seat next to me. 
And I had two thoughts. One was, that's a little weird. Uh, but I could see why he would, might think that me or someone else might think he's crazy. I'm like, oh, that's kind of interesting that you would do that in the plane. Um, but maybe the second thought I had was, um, man, I don't, I don't pray like that. I'm not disciplined like that. Like, he's doing a different thing of a different religious tradition. And I come from a tradition where we say, oh, you could pray to God anytime. You don't need to pray at certain hours of the day. and You don't need to pray in a certain way. And you don't need a ritual to it. You don't need to bow. And you don't need to be facing a certain direction. God is available. God is in your heart. God is available to you at any time of the day. So you don't have to be stuck in this rigid thing that he's stuck in. I believe that. And yet, what do Christians do? We go, man, that's, that's, that's rigid and ritualistic and it's weird. Why would you do that? I'm going to not pray, ever. But I'm, at least I'm not doing that. You know, like, weird. What are we doing? Like, how could I be critical of him? At least he's doing it. I didn't think at 9 o'clock at night on the plane, this is a time to pray. He did. I think there's something to learn there. Sure, whatever you think about the, the, the effectiveness of that or how rigid that is or ritualistic, and you, don't want, you never want to go there. Okay, don't go there. But can you, ble- can you be disciplined? Can you, can you at least pray? Right? So it's challenging to me. So let's put love in action through prayer. And then finally this, let's put love in action through action. Sure, thoughts and prayers are good. I'm a fan. But let's put love into actual action. And this is really hard. I could put love into action for somebody I love easily, naturally. I can, I can, I can load the dishwasher. I can bring you coffee in the morning. I can, I can do these things that people like. I can buy you a gift. But what about for your abuser? How would you put love into action there? Who does that? Now, when I say abuse, there's a wide range, right? There's the most horrible, evil stuff. And then there's things that we sort of call abuse. They're like, oh, it's sort of a little bit mentally abusive or emotionally, and someone cussed at me or whatever. Like, okay, there's a range there. But what would it look like to take action to love um, that person. Jesus tells us, give to those who ask of us to not seek revenge, maybe. Maybe love and action with an abuser is to not file the lawsuit or to not pursue burning it down with someone. Not, to, to not take that attitude of, I'm going to make them pay for what they did. I'm going to get revenge. Whose job is it to get revenge? Well, if you're a Christian, you'd go, actually, it's not mine. God's job. Vengeance is mine, says the Lord. But wait, I want to have revenge. I want to have the day where they pay for what they did. It's not my job. Jesus says, that's not your job. There is someone who judges. There's a God who sees everything that, is, that you've ever done and everything that was ever done to you and everything that other guy did. And other, like, there's, a, there's a God who sees that. There's a God who knows the motives of the heart. And there's a God who is judge and jury on that. And our role is to trust him that he's going to do that and that he's not letting anybody get away with things, but he is going to do what is ultimately right because he sees it clearly. Our job is to trust him and love other people. You can act loving towards someone. doesn't mean you're saying, oh, what you did wasn't wrong. It could still be wrong. But the, the, the judgment of that part is not yours or mine 
to have. It's our job to love people and trust God to judge them. We are to take action with our love. We're so used to talking about love in a feeling, but love is active. It has to be. There has to be something that backs up that feeling. I can feel something towards you, but if I never express it, you know, that, that's a problem. There should be something there. So love looks like being generous. It looks like being patient with someone. It looks like, and man, we suck as a culture at this right now. It looks like overlooking an offense. Oh, you offended me? I want to be vindicated. No, just maybe overlook it. Love looks like that. Love doesn't mean you have to agree with someone. We're real stuck on that in our culture too, right? Oh, you, you don't agree with me. You don't love me. And don't put, don't put relationships under the burden of, of agreement. You can't agree all the time. Agreement is very transient. But the things that are transcendent are being patient, being kind, being generous. That stuff matters. And it, and it, and it can cover over a multitude of sins in a relationship. This is exactly what Jesus calls us to, to, to do this love that makes no sense, this love beyond reason, this love that is difficult. And look, I'm not standing up here shouting in Carytown to everyone on the street, you need to do what Jesus says. Because a lot of people didn't sign up for that game. But if you're a follower of Jesus, you did sign up for that. And this is the stuff he calls us to. I'm not saying it's fun. I'm not saying it's easy. And a lot of times it's going to feel like three steps forward, two steps back, It'll feel like slow progress. But I believe if we take him seriously and we truly believe that we're to actually love those who are set themselves against us, um, I think it's powerful. And I think it can, it can sh- change us and, and shape us. Let's pray. Lord, this is a hard word. This is a hard challenge to really live out what you, you call us to, to actively do good to those who curse us or who who set themselves against us. God, it is not our job to win them over. It is not our job to be the judge over them. It is our job to love you and love them. Um, And God, the world needs more of that. The culture needs more of that. We need more people who can step aside and can set aside petty disagreements or even major disagreements and are willing to come to the table acting for the good of the other. Um, God, Help us to lead out in that as a church, as a community, that we would be the people who will do it and who will step up in love. Lord, we, we love you. We, uh, we thank you for um, how you've expressed that to us. Um, may, we, may we give that out to others. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.